Fish Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor that owns a group practice called Push Through Therapy here in Atlanta, Georgia. Here on the podcast, we're talking about birthing stories, being a birthing parent, womanhood, parenthood, and everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. And I have the pleasure to have Miranda Campbell here on the show today. She is a mother and she's also the founder of Poor Counseling and Consultation. She is an LCSW and she juggles many hats. Um, We're going to talk about her birth story, also her work that she does. Thank you, Miranda, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? Are you from Georgia? Where, Where did you grow up? I grew up in Cali. I'm a Cali girl, born and raised. Uh, I moved to Georgia actually in 2013, so it's almost been 10 years, which is just crazy. I remember, you know, when I would, whenever I would meet new people, I had just arrived, and everyone else was like going on 10 years being here, and so now it's it's me. It's my turn. Oh, what part of California are you from? Orange County. Okay. I was born in Torrance, but I primarily grew up in Orange County. Was it a culture shock being here on the East Coast and in the South? It's not a shock. It's just different. It's just different. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I appreciate the diversity in in California. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the diversity there. It's actually a bit more diverse in some some ways. However, I also love seeing the Black excellence of Atlanta, especially, you know, having caught the entrepreneurial bug and being amongst other powerful Black women who are doing it alongside of me is just amazing. That's awesome. So I know that you are a mother of two. Um, who were some maternal influences for you as you were growing up? Mm, That's a a really good one. I would say, you know, the mothers of the church that I attended or the churches that I attended, that was always, um, or there was always someone to kind of take me under their wing or just to nurture me, uh, to be kind. And I don't know, it's just that, that old, um, I'm sure there's other people that shared the memories of like being on the old mother's laps, mm. them, you know, rocking you to sleep in church, giving you like a peppermint or the strawberry candies. <laughs> Back in the day, I'm totally giving away my age, but, but yeah. That's awesome. I, um, church is very like nostalgic for me as well. Like when I think about my childhood, like I know churches are different, you know, based off of your, mm-hmm. um, which denomination that you um, come from. But like you, I remember like being a child, you know, sitting in laps, taking naps at the church in the pews and and being like amazed by all of the women's and their hats and their outfits and what they would wear and the choir and the music. Um, Mm -hmm. That left like a huge impact for me as well. Yeah, 100%. But, um, okay, so for motherhood, when you first became a mom, first became pregnant, was it planned? Was it impromptu, unexpected? Or what was that like for you? 
It was planned. Uh, we, <laughs> it's funny because we got married in 2013 and, you know, I was already 30, but I was scared, you know, of, I don't know if, if it was like losing, I thought I was going to lose something. I was also scared of the birthing process. Like I looked forward to being pregnant and being like doted on and just growing this belly. And, you know, I thought that was, you know, going to be a phenomenal thing. And thankfully it was, but I was, I was scared. And so I actually got, I went back to school to get a second master's. So stupid. (laughs) Second master's just to kind of like delay it. And I wasn't like, I didn't think it through like to that extent, but looking back, I was totally doing that on a subconscious level of just wait, let's do this. Let's not have this baby because there's no other reason not to. Mm-hmm. But I am glad uh, it happened the way it did. I actually had my first when I was 34. So of course I was on the verge of being high risk for age reasons, but I also had fibroids, but thankfully it didn't cause too, too much of an issue yeah. throughout my pregnancy. But yeah, we did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> But it's also good, like, thinking back how you can recognize that you had some fears because sometimes, Mm -hmm. you you know, like, talk about that even before getting pregnant, like, what those fears are or, like, having open conversations because it is so... You know, like your freedom is a little bit different after. You oh know. yeah, <laughs> and you move. I haven't slept in since 2013. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 2013, I'm sorry, 2017. But yeah, like it, it, you can't go back. There is a, a sort of loss there. As joyous as the occasion is, there is no going back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so fortunate that you had a, a good pregnancy. Um, even though you had fibroids, how was labor and delivery for you? You know, I actually struggled with um, her coming out. (laughs) Uh, You know, I want to say I went to the hospital and I was already dilated quite a bit. I don't remember the exact number, but you know, the process went pretty quickly. I went into labor maybe around 11 p.m. at home. And I just told my husband, like, just put in your earplugs. I'm just going to time them. Let's just see what happens. I didn't want to be that girl that, like, had the false alarm Mm -hmm. and made everyone jump through these hoops and and yada, yada, yada. So at 8 a.m., you know, I nudged him and said, you know, I think it's time. Um, How I did that on my own, you know, I just wanted him to get sleep in the event. Like, it was a false alarm. He still had to go to work the next day. Mm -hmm. So, um, we called the doctor, we went there and, you know, pretty quickly they got me ready. And I did try pushing for about a good three hours. However, um, she just would not come out. Like they could see the hair, they tried the vacuum and to no avail. I I think my pelvis, my pelvis was just too narrow. So I ended up getting a C-section. Was that, because I know like sometimes people can take that in different ways of like being mm-hmm. very disappointed about having a C-section. Sometimes it could be traumatic if the story mm-hmm. a C-section. Sometimes they can be welcoming and kind of have surrendered to the unknown. What right. was it like for you? I actually didn't mind it. Um, there was a part of me prior to giving birth that I kind of just wanted to 
cut to the chase anyway, <laughs> unintended. Uh, I didn't want to be the person that tried to push and like tore themselves and still ended up with a C-section. So I was like, well, let's just cut to the chase and just get like <laughs> meet my baby, you know? And so I, I didn't have any qualms about that per se, but I think after the fact, as I became more educated about the stats on women and, and women of color and what they go through with labor and delivery and uh, the number of C-sections that are just increasing, I, it did kind of, um, hit me a little bit like oh did I do the right thing I remember someone mentioning oh I'm sure you could have done it oh you got a c-section you know like so that and in, in compiled with like more of the the numbers it does make me think like was it really necessary right but in terms of whether or not I feel like it takes away from my motherhood hell no, no. <laughs> like, I do a lot of work Right. to be a mom, you know, um, it doesn't make me any less connected mm-hmm. with my children. I connected with them the moment with my daughter in, in particular, I remember the weekend I got pregnant because I felt it mm-hmm. in my ovaries. Like as weird as that sounds, um, you know, I connected with them from the jump. So amazing. Um, and beautiful. And, you know, like sometimes it, it is kind of as a black woman, you know, like when you think about it after the fact, when you've gone through labor and delivery and you're like, should I have done this? Should I have done that? But like at the end of the day, you're here, they're here, y'all healthy. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. But it, it is so good to be informed, but it is sometimes very difficult in the moment to like narrow down like every single like thing, ask every single question. Like we do the best that we can with what we know how at the time. Right, exactly. So that's good. So, okay. So she was here. You literally cut to the chase. Yes. What was <laughs> postpartum that stage like? Um, how it was, so hard. it was hard? It was hard. I was a crazy person, like literally like, and I don't use that word lightly, but like I could be in a meme with like, someone who's like possessed like give me my baby like like, and you know I really think it says a lot to just the sleep deprivation of it all yes another thing they don't talk about like enough like I I will preach all the time I feel like people would just lightly say oh you're not gonna sleep anymore or sleep when the baby sleeps but they don't really like no like sleep is important to your mental health and in your postpartum uh, yeah <laughs> absolutely the sleep was so uh the sleep deprivation was really difficult and of course you know it it made it difficult to manage you know any irritability you know anything on the day-to-day that would be just kind of a bummer it made it that much heavier for me, um, I had this belief that like, if she cried, that was bad. Mm. And that really, the sleep deprivation and that belief, those were the two factors that really hurt me a lot. And so I remember going to my first OB appointment afterwards, you know, the, the first checkup. And 
um, my doctor, this old white lady, she's so sweet. She doesn't deliver anymore. Um, she said, how are you? How are you doing? And I just fell apart. I melted. And she's like, oh, honey, like, you know, and she let me know that I was likely experiencing postpartum. And she, wa- she wanted to know if I wanted to be on medication. And that was huge, uh, I guess, to have a professional, you know, validate like something was wrong. You know, this isn't really the normal blues um, that come along with having a baby. And it increased my insight a bit, you know, like I am a mental health professional, but I'm, I didn't know like postpartum, um, in and out per se, especially because I hadn't gone through it. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder, I didn't necessarily hold these beliefs myself, but I do, I am kind of sensitive to mental health stigma. And I just wonder if many other women feel like postpartum is when you want to hurt yourself or your baby. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes that does come along with it, but postpartum is a spectrum that may or may not include those things. And so, you know, with her bringing that up, that was the start of the journey. I didn't take medications initially. I really grappled with it. Mm -hmm. I felt like because I was a mental health professional that I should have been stronger and that I could overcome and I'm going to do this and, you know, it would get better for a day or two. And then it would just fall apart again. And then I would get better. And then I'm like, okay, I don't need the medication. And then I'm like, oh, let me make this appointment. So that was a thing. And then even looking into like, because I was a mental health professional, I was like, well, I should go to a psychiatrist or I should, you know, go to someone um, who I can really talk it out with. Mm-hmm. And mind you, I guess I didn't say this. I was in therapy during my pregnancy, but I had a traumatic termination with that therapist right before. Um, giving birth. And so I didn't have that person, um, the relationship that I have, that I had with my mom at the time was a little strained. And so, and, you know, I was married for four years and I was still kind of developing trust within the relationship I had with my Mm mother-in-law. And so, you know, it felt really isolating. And um, my husband also doesn't act, act right, quote unquote, when he doesn't get sleep. <laughs> so it was pretty tumultuous at times. It was rough. Yeah. And so I finally just, you know, I told my OB like, yes, I'll, I'll take medicine. So she started me off on like half of a normal dose. Okay. And that was actually enough. I'm so grateful that I did that. And I, um, I ended up taking the medication for a year hmm. after that is like very um, resonating. Um, I think like you being able to recognize that your supports weren't really there the way that you would have wanted them or needed them in that mm-hmm. moment. And to also have been vulnerable enough to have taken medication. Because, yeah. you know, it's one thing to just be a woman and the stigma around medication, but then to be a black woman and strong black woman syndrome and 
you know, being a therapist, like, well, I should know, I should be able to do this. I should be able to, you know, handle mm-hmm. this on my own. Um, but to be able to look at it, it's like, this is, this is an additional tool that I need so that I can get through this and show up for myself and for my kid. Yeah. Um, that's, that's amazing that that was there. Did you know that what your supports would look like was going to look like that? Like before she got here? Like, did you guys have a plan, you know, for sleep or just like in taking care of her or or were you guys kind of just winging it and it fell, it kind of happened that way? You know, we were winging it and um, internet sleuths by night. (laughs) We, We actually like the best strategy we learned from the internet that we passed along to all of our other friends that had babies since was to do shifts. And so my, I'm both myself and my husband are night owls, but I took him being a night owl to my advantage. And what I did was I slept anywhere between six or eight. I would start at six or 8 PM. I would either sleep or like do something that was valuable to me, whether it was taking a shower or having a meal It's usually like a shower yeah. and then going to bed um, up until two. And then at two, then I would be back on duty. And so that was really helpful because at two o'clock, it wasn't guaranteed that my baby would be awake. So maybe I would even get to sleep a little bit longer and I would just pump and and he would be able to feed her during that interim. And so um, I would need to wear earplugs because that's when the beast would come out. Like, why is my baby crying? (laughs) Because she wouldn't cry like that with me, of course. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was pretty sad. I felt really bad for him and his mom. She would try to help. And I was just like, give me my baby. You know? <laughs> um, stitches and all. Like, I'm still bleeding at this point, if you think. And that's why I'm saying, like, I was just out of control. But um, if the earplugs worked and I didn't hear her cry, I was able to get some really good rest. Or if my mom came over, I actually felt really at ease when my mom had her. Like, I wasn't, I could sleep deep and not you know want to know what's going on I have to check. okay yeah when would you say or how many months or a year did it take before you felt like grounded like good I got this I am more so back to normal I would say about a year a year ish it's probably a little bit little bit longer I stayed home with her um for seven months and then I got back into working uh, and she stayed home. Um, well, I sent her to daycare, but that lasted two days. I didn't like the response about diaper rash. Like she started to develop one and she had never had a diaper rash. And when I inquired about it, they were a little bit too lackadaisical. So I was like, all right, <laughs> give me my money back. <laughs> and my mom watched her, um, for some time after that, but, and that really helped me because that freed up my my mind to go to work and so I went when she was seven months and so about three four months into that job I slept trained her finally which is really good it's a little delayed right and then I I thought like okay I'm ready to stop taking medication so I had a few stutter steps with it actually Mm -hmm. it took me I want to say maybe two or three tries to stop because I would stop. And then I was like, oh no, this is not it. Like, and I would take it again. And then um, I recognized that I just, 
it wasn't that I needed the meds. It's just, I, it was foolish to kind of stop them without a plan in place. Mm -hmm. So making sure that I was able to create space for myself in time to replenish my energy as just my own person and, you know, as a mom. Yeah, that is good. Having like a plan. Did you feel what, I guess to go back, what helped you feel like yourself again? Like what, what were those things going on in life or things going on with you that make you, made you feel like, okay, I'm good. Being able to go back to work. Mm -hmm. That was huge. That it was such a, it's, it still is such a huge part of my identity. Mm -hmm. And so reclaiming that part. Yeah. You know, that part existed in me before I was a wife, before I even, you know, fathomed being a mother. You know, I shouldn't say that, but like it's just the longest, most stable part of myself. Right. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit to ask you this and come back around because Mm -hmm. I, I feel those same sentiments. Like my work is very important to me, um, just as much as being a mom. And I think it's amazing when anyone can be a stay-at-home mom. But even when I was at home after I had them, I was getting like the itch, like yes, doing something. <laughs> I need to be doing something. How do you find balance between doing both, or how do you ever have mom guilt if you feel like you're giving too much to work? Like, how do you juggle that? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was a weird realization when I had my first that, you know, I looked up and I was like, well, dang, my parents didn't even raise me because, (laughs) you know, you expect us to give birth to this child and then let them be watched eight to 10 hours a day by someone else. And then you have weekends and then you're supposed to keep your marriage spicy and do all these things on top of it. And so I was just like, well, dang, like, who raises your kids? <laughs> so that's been something, you know, that I've really um, aimed to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm finally making movement in this area. I don't feel like I've, I've fully made it full circle, yeah. but I, I have come a long ways in terms of my thinking and my execution of being able to wear those hats of, of being mom, but also business owner. And, and you know, I take the work I do with my clients and the opportunities that I provide my clinicians like really seriously. And so it's, it's not easy. There is no perfect balance. It's just perceiving opportunities and and following through as best you can, when you can. Mm -hmm. Best you can, when you can. Um, Okay. So you had this experience um, with your daughter, how long before you got pregnant with your second? So I gave birth to him um, in 2021. So he's a pandemic oh, wow. baby. Yes. Shout out to the pandemic babies. <laughs> yes. yes. And I will say, I'm so glad that I did not, my first baby was not a pandemic baby. My heart goes out to all the moms that had to go through those appointments, you know, the first time without any any su- physical support, like in, in the office and, and everything. So, um, <laughs> excuse me, speaking of pandemic babies, he gave me COVID last month oh. and I, it's still lingering a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can hope, hope, I haven't had a lot of coughs this morning, but I also wasn't talking a lot. So 
cross my fingers. Um, you know, the second go round is really special to me. Um, you know, we had a really tough year actually in 2019, you know, before the pandemic even hit. And so um, my husband was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And um, back like late 2018. And so in 2019, um, thankfully, like, you know, the cancer he had, had, thank God, right, um, had a 90% success rate at, you know, being conquered. And he was able to get it removed, but he was on medication. He, you know, he took, he didn't have to do like traditional chemotherapy, but he took a pill that kind of had the same effect. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had wanted to have a child. We were contemplating it. We actually uh, put it off because we wanted to go to a wedding in, in the DR and, you know, Zika was all the rage. Me and my OB laughed about that, like Zika, haha. Like <laughs> who cares? You might as well have rolled the dice then. Um, and then now, you know, the whole cancer thing and then COVID. But um, once he got the cancer removed, we waited a few weeks for him to recover. And, you know, he was supposed to resume the medication for preventive me measures. And so he said, you know, we're happy with our one beautiful blessing, our girl. But if we can have another great, let's try for two weeks and just see what happens. If it's meant to be, we'll get married or we'll get married. We'll get pregnant in these two weeks. And if not, it wasn't meant to be. And like thinking back now, I kind of laugh because like there was no science behind our thoughts, <laughs> you know, in terms of like ovulation and, and things. We just said, hey, if God wants us to have a baby, it's going to happen in these two weeks. So we tried and it happened. Wow. Yeah, it happened. And then, you know, after that, he was able to start his, his medication again. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Like so many, I mean, I could see how that is challenging to have to get a diagnosis like that, especially like just young and out of. Nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it, not even 40 yet. Right. And I do feel like with parenthood, I think about like life a lot. Like, you know, I want to live for my children. I, I want to mm -hmm. stay healthy. I want to. I need to see them become adults. I want to be a grandparent. So I yeah. know that had to be challenging, but the fact that you guys could get through that and then have the blessing of getting pregnant. So like what yeah. you said, no ovulation kit, no. Like, yeah. We're just like, well, <laughs> we're, we're going to either be successful or just have fun trying, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Takes the pressure out of it. Um, so sure. what was that pregnancy labor delivery like? It was actually a lot easier. My fibroids didn't really take a factor. And even though by that age, um, I don't even remember how old I was, <laughs> which is really funny. I think I was what, 38? Mm. When I gave birth, uh, even though I was considered an old woman in <laughs> pregnancy terms, I didn't really have to see the specialist for very long because everything was looking really good. Nice. He was just heavy and active. Man, it hurt to carry him around. So <laughs> I knew it was going to be another C-section. Um, I mean, I guess there are other methods like a VBAC. I just figured I'd cut to the chase again. Mm -hmm. And I kind of knew that I wasn't, um, neither my husband or I had the desire to be much older and have another child. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't 
have the worry about like, oh, if we want another child after this one, I'll have to be cut on again and, and, and things. And so I went ahead and knew I was going to do that route. So we actually, I liked that we got to schedule it, uh, except he still came early. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. But just funny, 11, 11 p.m. again. That's so interesting. I'm like, oh, that didn't feel right. Like I was having pain, you know, around that time. And everybody talks about Braxton Hicks, but this particular pain lasted for like, I looked at the clock and when it was done, I looked again and a whole minute had passed. And I was like, that's, you know, pain is pain, but like for it to endure for a whole minute, I was like, that didn't feel right. And so I called it in and, you know, lo and behold, I was seven centimeters when I went in. So I had to like hurry up and do a COVID test, make sure like that was good to go. Uh I would say that my like post labor and delivery experience was more traumatic during this time. I went to the same hospital, had a different doctor, but um, it was just different. I didn't like it. And I don't know if it was more of just, again, me becoming more educated about like the statistics about like black women. And I didn't have um, a black doctor. A lot of the nurses weren't black. I know a lot of black women opt to have black doctors. I actually felt like when I had my daughter more comfortable with going with the doctor that I had, um, that I knew someone went to. Mm -hmm that gave me a better sense of comfort mm-hmm. versus having um, someone who looked like me at that time. Yeah. So then I, I went to the same practice and because my OB wasn't delivering anymore. I tried someone new and she's, she's phenomenal. I loved her, but the nursing staff, you know, and it's probably not even their fault. I think it's more circumstantial. Um, you think it's because it was them working under COVID or just in general? Not, I don't think so. I'm sure, you know, the climate of our country at that time mm-hmm. played a role in my head to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't feel heard or understood. I didn't feel checked on. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it was about the baby and the sleep deprivation definitely played a role. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, in the hospital, um, like there were nights where I would only sleep for like one hour, like during a whole 24 hour period. And the nurses would have my baby for periods of time. And so they thought I was resting, but no one asked. <laughs> and so I had to tell them, you know, like I actually haven't been sleeping very well. And then their protocols around pain medication changed. So you had to ask versus just being like given. Mm. And so, you know, I actually, you know, in retrospect, it makes sense, but it, it was, it really impacted my experience still. So what happens when you have a C-section, you, you get this tape taped on your womb, like your, your womb is, or the cut that they get the baby out is horizontal. And so you get these little strips of tape um, that go across that horizontal cut that incision and so think about you you your belly was stretched and so now it's reduced but there's still a little bit of pain 
-hmm. And so my belly that was like kind of sticky from that adhesive was sticking to my legs whenever I would sit up or and needed to stand up. Yeah. And that was making me feel pain. And so when they would ask me what my pain level was, I would say, oh, it's high. And I was like, well, well wait, let me look. And then so now it looks like I'm faking <laughs> because I'm like, well, when I do this, it hurts. But I didn't know that it was because of the adhesive. Like I, I couldn't see down there. Yeah. Because yeah. I was still a little bit big. Right. And so, but they could, they were examining me every day, <laughs> painfully. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and being a, a social worker in my head, I'm like, oh, great. They're going to think this. They're going to think that. What are they writing in their, their reports? And think about what comes along with a sleep deprived brain that's thinking these thoughts. And so I'm over here paranoid. And um, every time I would ask for medication, I would pick up on their facial expression or their pauses or their new, you know, the nuances. Right. And then my baby was losing weight in the hospital. You were breastfeeding? On top of that. Yes. Mm. And so they bought in like a lactation consultant, um, you know, and I didn't have any qualms of my baby receiving formula I just didn't want all of it to be formula mm -hmm. and so long story short um I just decided to discharge a little bit early like I didn't even I, I gave birth on a Friday evening like Saturday morning like 1 p 1 a.m and um I left Monday before my doctor could even see me just because I I didn't feel safe yeah. I didn't feel protected. I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel understood. And I figured that A, I would heal better mm -hmm. in my own environment where I could get more sleep. Mm -hmm. Because every time you try to sleep, someone would come in and like check your blood pressure or, you know, something of that nature or check the babies. Right. Um, and two, I, I knew that whatever issue my baby was having with losing weight, I could manage on an outpatient level. Mm -hmm. Very true. And so, yeah, I just made that decision. Now, how did they respond to it? Did they give you <coughs> Excuse me. Did they I mean, they, you know, you can tell that it was, um, so I thought on many di different levels. For one, you know, I have a lot of experience in residential care. And so I'm thinking on a, from a business perspective, they're like, oh, this bed is empty, you know, especially like, yeah. So I was thinking that was going through my mind. Like I, I was like really into this. Um, and then, you know, it was controversial because I wasn't really fully healed. And then here, here it is, my baby is losing weight. I knew that they were really concerned yeah. um, as they should have been. It's not something to take lightly, but um, I knew, I'd, again, I just didn't feel safe. Yeah, yeah, which I think is huge, not only to your health, but also to your mental health. Yes. You got to a place where you felt safe, and at least you've been a mother before, mm -hmm. um, and you are a therapist, and you know the resources available to you to be able to, you know, mitigate all of those, uh, your healing, the baby's weight gain, you know, you have a pediatrician, you know, mm -hmm. you supplementing with formula versus like, if you were just an oblivious first time, don't, right. I don't feel safe. You know, what do I do? Don't yeah. situation. So it's good that you were able to 
advocate for yourself to feel safe. And me personally, like having been in perinatal mental health, I just feel like there should be a therapist in the hospital. Like I should, I feel like it should just be a part of the team. Yeah. Just the routine. And in like you start going to your OB, not even in the labor delivery, you know, I, yes. One that is like culturally competent. Mm -hmm. um, So you don't feel like this person don't get me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And one that can like visit you in the hospital. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, do you feel heard? You know, all, all of those things so that you aren't being over analytical, paranoid, perhaps, right. you know, want to speak up, don't know how to speak up, like all of those things, because it's so much information. It's so many hormones, yes. it's so much going on. My biggest fear was that a social worker was going to get involved in questioning my parenting or the competency, like my decision, like, all this. so I was like, I got to go. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, you know, thankfully my OB was super duper supportive. Um, and I and I did give her that feedback after the fact. And, you know, she was legit, like she seemed genuine in in, in feeling, you know, sorry that I experienced those things. Um, the lactation consultant also was um helpful to have around to an extent. Um she seemed to kind of get where I was coming from. Like I felt like she made the effort to listen. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is, it's so unfortunate. And you know, I, like hearing you say it in that way of you were worried that a social worker was going to misinterpret something. And this is you, someone who is a social worker having that feeling. Yes. It's like common for so many Black women as to why they don't say anything at all and just suffer. Mm in silence, who go to their six-week or eight-week checkup and do not, you know, answer honestly on their screening scale, um, right. just say, I'm fine, because they don't want their child to be taken away. And then some who have been honest and who have had their child taken away. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, it's such a disservice and it's right. a gap and an uh, issue that should just be changed. It causes so much harm. Mm-hmm. But when I tell you I was ready, I had a therapist I had been going to for so long and she's just so incredible. Um, I still see her intermittently now. You know, I would see her more, but I just, you know, I'm so such a great patient. I maximize what I need to get out of the, those sessions, I do my homework. I challenge myself. I'm actually inspired by my clients. I'm like, whoa, look at those guts. Like, let me step up my game and confront you know, these issues just with that same, you know, tenacity. Um, I also let it be known that I needed meds. Like, so immediately once the baby was out, I, I was able to get my meds. I'm still taking them today. I, I do plan on taking them probably until he's three. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that even though like I kind of knew it was par for the course and I was really ahead of the game and in, in, in being preventive, mm-hmm. COVID it's just a whole nother, it adds a whole nother layer because here you are going th- through things that are already like really stressful and trying. Mm-hmm. And then you're stripped of like coping skills yeah. or the thing, you know, how many days I sat down and said like, oh, like, let's see, what can I do to kind of like boost my mood and my bond with my baby? Like I could do this. Oh yeah. COVID. Oh, I could do, oh, COVID. you know, and it was just, my options were so limited. 
I, I couldn't do mommy me classes. Um, you know, in the early days before we knew more about the disease, like I, I didn't feel safe going out to a friend's house mm-hmm. or having them come over. So, you know, it, it just, it was a challenge and it still, it still is, you know, I'm taking my, my five-year-old to go get her booster shot, mm-hmm. which they don't do at the pediatrician that have to go to a Walgreens because she's five now. And I'm like, well, husband, uh, can you come home so that I don't have to take the baby because he can't wear a mask. And that was like, we've been so like, just thoughtful in our movements and, you know, just having gotten COVID in July. And I suspect that we got it from slutty vegan. So for all my ATL people, (laughs) it was definitely great food but it did not, it was not worth the COVID. I, you know, we didn't even eat there. We literally just stood in line and ordered and went outside immediately. And I think that was the only thing that you've done. We we really did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had my second April 1st, 2020. So it was like, right when the world shut down. Well, there was like so much unknown. Fortunately, like you said, in the state of Georgia, in comparison to like New York and everywhere else, mm-hmm. I could at least have my husband there. And right. unfortunately, it was my second, not my first experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally agree. Like it can be very like isolating. We were like in the house for like a while. Like, and I I just shifted to like telehealth when I did. Yeah. You know, so it, it, you know, I really didn't, it, I think it was a while before I had like friends who even had met him like almost a year wow. before people had met him. Um, so it is just, uh, I'm very empathetic for any mother that is having children during this time. And, you know, now we have monkeypox and, and they said they right. found polio in the water. Like, it's just, it's something, you know. It's a lot. It's, it's a definitely lot. a lot. And so, you know, we're definitely in a phase of just wrapping our head around, like, how do we live, mm-hmm. you know, but, and also, you know, and be reasonable, but also protect ourselves. And so, you know, it's it's really just waiting until he's old enough to wear a mask. And once he can wear a mask, then we can move a bit more freely. But for now, if we can eliminate a trip to Slutty Vegan, <laughs> <laughs> Or at least leave him at home or order in, you know, right. uh, we'll, we'll do that. Now so. I was reading, um, in your bio, you were saying how before you were a solo practitioner and then having wanted to, you know, be more present as a mother is when you had expanded into a group practice. Mm-hmm. How did you come to that decision and, and how has that been? And tell us a little bit more about court counseling. Yeah. So, you know, both my babies taught me a lot. You know, my daughter taught me about emotion regulation Mm. and and really being present and and noticing what comes up and and meeting those needs like right there in the spot versus delaying or waiting Mm -hmm. and pushing through stuff. But um, my son, you know, he really taught me how to be a boss. Like he really taught me how to you know, we, we hear the term a lot of working on your business versus in it. Mm-hmm. And he really challenged and pushed me. He helped. I mean, the desire was there, but he helped push me to really wrap my head around um, what it would be like to not be the primary provider in my practice. And so how to, I knew how to market myself really well, 
but I was really stuck on how that translated to marketing my other staff. And so, um, yeah, I was able to sit and do that, you know, breastfeeding, you know, <laughs> was, gave me a lot of time to, to do things. Like, I, I think I like created my whole website while I was breastfeeding or redid our website, I should say. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, it is. So, you know, having a group practice is so important to me because I know that like, I can't help everyone. And there's such a shortage, you know, in, in mental health professionals, especially black mental health professionals. And so um, I love being able to pour into my staff and indirectly pour into, you know, that many more lives of the people that they're helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so how, what, what specialties do you guys specialize in? Um, the type of clients do you guys see? How many clinicians are there? Where are you located? Is it telehealth? Is it in person? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, pre-pandemic, we were in Buckhead, but now we're 100% virtual. I do have one contractor that has uh, office space in um, coming, but everyone else is 100% virtual. I have five employees and two or three contractors, three contractors, yes. Um, it's funny, I can't even keep track. Like it's between the, the mommy brain and the COVID fog, like it's, it's, it's real. but you know overall like our focus is on relationships and you know it extends further than just like romantic relationships you know it's about the relationship you have with food or your body um relationships you have with you know at your place of employment your family of origin your friends and ultimately you know the relationship you have with yourself And so I have clinicians that specialize in eating disorders and body image. Um, I have some that focus on couples and um, transitions and like uh, work issues, also um, substance use and grief and trauma. Um, Two of us are uh, trained in EMDR. I just got my level one uh, training in brain spotting, which has been such an amazing tool for the people that I work with. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. That's amazing. That's really good. How did you come up with the name for counseling? Um, I was actually talking to my uncle who's a pastor. Um, and you know, I really wanted to depict a place where you can come and lay your burdens down, you know. And so he taught he was like, Well, what about port? You know, like it's a place where you can unload and load up. And I'm like, that's therapy. You you unload all your baggage and you you walk away with some skills and some gems and some tools to help you make it through. So that's oh, it. I love that. That is, that's, yeah. that's a good one. Um, okay, so last question. How do you take care of yourself? Because you just got over COVID. <laughs> and long brain, you're a like, do I take care of myself? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What do you do for you? Oh, I try to take care of myself. <laughs> you know, it's really about being in tune with your body mm-hmm. and listening. And so there may be days where I plan to do X, Y, and Z, but my body is telling me, uh, no, nah, girl, you need to just lay down. 
close your eyes. Mm. Um, you know, I, I have migraines. And so that's something that I've been managing um, with medication recently, thankfully. So, you know, that really helps me to not be completely taken off the game. But yeah, just listening to my body, knowing what I need um, when I need it. Um, it doesn't always have to be rest. Maybe I, I need to spend time with my husband or maybe I need to spend time, you know, geeking out on a podcast or an audiobook, or, you know, maybe I need to kiki with a glass of wine and watch the housewives, but just listening because, you know, oftentimes I would, especially during the pandemic, I would find myself kind of like on this, um, this loop where I would just mindlessly go through my day, detached, numbed out, totally dissociated, right? And every night I would do the same thing, you know, and it, whether it was like lay up and watch TV, <clears throat> which isn't bad, but I, my body and my soul needed other things. And so I had to listen and make sure that I did things that I valued and that I needed at that time. And that helped me feel like I was living a life, even though I was in the house. <laughs> yeah, that's good. What yeah. advice would you give to a Black mother who may be in their head and not asking for help not saying verbally out loud, I don't feel safe, um, not being able to recognize that medication may be good for them. Do you know, like mm -hmm. sometimes, like we talked about, we can just have shame, we can think about stigma, we can be fearful someone will take our kids and we can just be suffering and no one, everyone mm -hmm. would be oblivious. And we can feel like you should do it, you know, just kind of power through it. What advice would you give to them to speak up or how to speak up? Yeah, you know, that's hard. You know, it is an individual choice. You know, what I usually tell my clients is that, you know, the medication isn't doing it all for you. Mm -hmm. you're, you're still you, you're still present. You still need to do the work. It just makes it a, a bit easier, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially if you are doing things like going to therapy or, or seeking healing in the way you've chosen, right? It could be the gym, a church, whatever. Um, the medication really helps me to maximize those other things. Because if I don't have the medication, I can't, I struggle to be fully present right. in using those other things or knowing when to use or being motivated to use those other things. So it kind of reduces some of the barriers for me to access the other good stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not forever. I'm going to get off, but I'm not in a rush. I have nothing to prove. And I still recognize that a lot of, of my external circumstances, like COVID and monkeypox and things like that, are not in my control. They're not gone yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be caught slipping. And, and my, my kids deserve to have me mentally present mm. and healthy. I love that. That is more favorite. than anything else. Yeah. yeah. I do it for them yeah. because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be irritable. Right. None of yeah. us. And I, I think that it, it takes a lot of humility and self-awareness mm -hmm. to do the work to not be irritable because it's I mean you know we're humans 
you know some right and some of the stuff is is really like gets on your nerves you drop that bottle again and now it bust out what, what? the trees are where <laughs> you know it, a lot of it is you know annoying but at the end of the day I don't want to um I just want you know to be to be better you know you asked me you know who are my motherly inspirations? And ultimately I would say the clients that I work with that are either moms or or wanting to be moms in the future that are doing the essential work to make sure that they pass on generational mental wealth, Mm. like that, those are goals to me. Mm -hmm. And and I want to join them in in doing that. I got goosebumps. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those that are listening, where can they find you? What is your social media website? Yes. So our uh, website is ports, P-O-R-T-C, as in cat and G as in girl, um, .com, portcg. And uh, my social media is Miranda Campbell underscore LCSW. You can also find Port Counseling Group um, on Instagram as well. I'm actually um, in the process of uh, launching a new program for newly married women, but I'm also thinking about extending it to those who are who think they're on the verge of, of getting married um, to really help them through those first two years. It's a doozy. This is true. <laughs> this is yeah. true. Yeah, I think that could be very beneficial to many. Yeah, so, you know, if anyone listening is interested in learning more, they can simply uh, DM me and just say, hey, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, so Miranda, for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You know, thanks for giving me this space. Like, you know, I, I think we talked about before we started um, just me wanting to be more open because I'm about reducing the stigma of therapy and mental health and you know my story may help someone so here we are